The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Barrow columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Karen Patterson, Managing Director of Trig Mining, which trades under the code TMG, or Tango Mike Golf. It last traded at 15 cents a share for a market cap of about 12 million. Trig only listed in October last year with sulphate of potash projects to the east of Laverton in Western Australia as its focus. SOP, in its abbreviated form, is a high-value fertiliser used for chloride-sensitive crops like fruit, vegetables, avocados, grapes, and so on. When it is produced from brines like Trig proposes, it comes with huge environmental benefits over the Mannerheim process, which currently, at least, meets most of the world's 7 million tonnes per annum SOP demand. And as we all know, environmental sustainability in the production of anything nowadays has become a key consideration for investment institutions. Now, SOP is obviously plugged into the need to feed the world food thematic, one that sees the need for increased crop yields to meet the growing world population at a time when arable land is becoming less and less available. That thematic has given rise to a half a dozen or so SOP-focused explorer developers on the ASX. They range in value from $12 million to more than $300 million. That $12 million spot is taken by Trig, so there's plenty of leverage there to the upside, which is what always gets the interest up of Garen Perro. And it can be said that the process of capturing the upside is underway at Trig, thanks to the scale and high-grade results achieved to date at its Lake Throstle project, some 170 kilometres east of Laverton. In addition, Trig has established a 6 million tonne inferred mineral resource of drainable sop at its Lake Raisin project, about 100 kilometres south of Lake Throstle. With that, I'm going to say good day to Karen and welcome her to the podcast. Hi there, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry. Thanks for having me. Great. All right, always great to uh, start out, if we could, with uh, you telling us a bit about your professional career. And uh, while I've got you there, uh, I'm a bit intrigued about the name Trig as well. Well, I'm a mining engineer from the WA School of Mines. I um, went to Kalgoorlie when I was 17 to live and breathe everything mining ultimately to build minds communities can be proud of. And since then, my career has been has spanned just about every aspect of the, the mining supply chain. I've uh, worked in operations, underground open pit, mine manager, and then moved into uh, corporate finance, uh, acquisitions, um, been involved in mining services and exploration. In fact, I started a uranium company about 10 years ago that was a successful exploration company as well. So it's been quite diverse and brought me to building, putting Trig together. So in that, um, in my purpose of building mines, communities can be proud of, I put a company together, named it after my ancestor, Henry Trigg, here in Western Australia, one of the founders of the Swan River Settlement. Okay. He was instrumental to the early infrastructure here in WA building the first um, bridges to bring goods up from Fremantle to Perth and one of the first lighthouses at Rottnest. So we have a, a suburb and uh, an island and a beach named after him 
which is all very popular here in uh, Western Australia, the Intrigue Beach. All right, okay. Oh, nice historical touch there. Okay, mm-hmm. so given that uh, uh, varied and deep career, I was wondering what attracted you to the SOP opportunity? Well, it was really coming back to that purpose. I, I am by trade a metal miner. That is my background, whereas uh, sulfate of potash is about salts, it's about brine and exploring for the, the very large water resources that are enriched with potassium in the goldfields. It really is about how sustainable it is. So it's a mining process or not even a mining process because there is no open pit. There'll be no waste rock waste dump. No. Uh, there's no big um, like communition and huge energy consumption to grind and then chemicals to liberate the metals from the rocks. It's a matter of pumping the brine from below, just below the surface. It sits in these ancient riverbeds and the big salt lake systems of the goldfields. And using the natural endowment that we have out there being the sun and a really high evaporation rate of about three metres a year to evaporate the water and produce uh, a salt. But that salt is potassium sulphide, providing two of the four macronutrients of plant growth. So it's a very clean uh, fertiliser. It's uh, potentially certifiable organic because of the, the, the production method being very light touch. And it can improve our sustainability of our agricultural practices because, as um, you mentioned earlier, Barry, there's two aspects to this. So the Mannheim process where a majority, because there's not a lot of um, product coming from the brines around the world, we need to, to fill the demand to be able to produce our, our very valuable food sources. So the Mannheim process is where they purchase a product called muriate of potash, which is potassium chloride, and they put that into a furnace, heat it to around about 800 degrees, add sulfuric acid to it and then create an ion exchange to manufacture sulfate of potash. And with that, there is um, the byproduct is hydrochloric acid, which can't be stored and then needs to, uh, some sort of neutralisation discharge process. So it's very um, environmentally taxing, whereas what we can do is produce it from the brines using solar evaporation. That other aspect, muriated potash, is uh, mined in bulk, it's a bulk commodity. It comes from very large underground deposits in Canada, Russia and Belarus. That's potassium chloride and half of that product is uh, is detrimental to plants. They really don't like chloride. It can contribute to the acidity of your soil and has, so it's a very inefficient fertiliser because farmers, for every tonne they put on their crops, they put half a tonne of this negative element that they then need to neutralise with another product. Mm. Intriguing then why Mannerheim is the the main supplier of SAP at this stage. Why hasn't it happened earlier, this growth in SAP demand through brine projects? I think, well, globally there are a number of projects. They're not a lot just because we need not only geology to work in our favour to create these deposits, but you need also the environmental factors. So you need potassium-rich rocks. You need water travelling past those potassium rocks to dissolve them slowly over time and carry those minerals into uh, down the riverbed systems and then the evaporation rate. So you need to be in a, in a desert environment to have that, um, I suppose, that environmental impact to create the salt lake system and concentrate the minerals over time. So there's not a lot of them in natural endowment globally. I think in Australia we pretty much had our blinkers on thinking that we were here to produce metals mm. and from rock. We really didn't consider uh, minerals in brine. In fact, I've dewatered paleo channels in my 
operational past for gold pits. Um, thankfully, I don't think those channels were potassium rich, but we would just consider them as total dissolved solids, that it was a hypersaline brine, we needed a discharge solution that was environmentally acceptable, and it was just very much treating it as, as a waste product to get to the gold deposits. What we've discovered uh, since Australian Geoscience did a report a number of years ago, I think five or six years ago, is that we have um, a number of lakes in Australia that are prospective for minerals in brine, and that's where we've seen a couple of my peers get started and also trig following that. Right, okay. Uh, can we take a look at the, the cost of production of brines versus Manaheim? Is there, which one has the cost advantage? Uh, definitely the brines have the cost advantage. So they naturally, with that, that solar energy endowment and, and it already dissolved in solution in the water, it, they generally sit in the, the lower cost quartile where the Mannheim sits in the Q3, Q4 quartile because they've got to build these big manufacturing plants. Mm. They've got to buy in all of their, um, their inputs. Sulfuric acid is often not very cheap at all. And then they've got to deal with the hydrochloric acid as well. So it's, it's a very complex, very expensive process to produce it. And then that creates a price floor because we have to have the sulfate of potash to produce our food. There is no substitute for it, especially when it comes to the high value, high nutrient foods, the horticultural foods in particular. Right. And the price is obviously opaque. So I was just wondering if you could give listeners a, a feel for what where the price is and uh, how, how it's been tracking in recent years and what uh, maybe some of the consultant forecasts around future potential growth and demand. The forecasts that I've seen talk about about 3% per annum growth on that 7 million tonne per annum market, so uh, to about 200,000 tonnes per annum, so a really good-sized SOP yeah. project that we're talking about in West Australia every single year. And the price is quite steady because we are all consuming food every year and not changing those um, our consumption habits drastically over any sort of short period of time. It's a fairly steady demand profile. And then that creates steady price profile as well. So it's at it sold at a premium to Muriata Potash and global markets are around about five hundred to five hundred and fifty dollars US dollars a ton. Right. And if you were to take a stab at what uh, a competitive uh, SOP project could produce its uh, product at roughly what a ton? Oh, I can't really say that at this stage. We haven't done the economic studies on Lake Thrussell, mm. but in general, they are quite high margin projects and very long mine lives as well. Okay, then. Uh, Lake Thrussell's uh, created uh, lots of excitement amongst the investor group um, mm -hmm. because of the high grades that you've encountered. Uh, yep. Take us through what you've encountered there and what the forward program is at Lake Thrussell. Well, we've got um, Lake Thrussell is, we've got one tenement granted, which is the one that we're working on over the main lake, but all up we've got over a 1,000 square kilometres there with all of this prospective paleo channel. So far we have done some hand auger sampling, which goes to two metres below the surface, and then a heli-supported rotary program across the lake, and that's drilled down to about six to eight metres below the surface. What we're up to, and all of that drilling, like 90% of all of those drill holes have returned consistently high grades of over 10,000 milligrams per litre, which has us all very excited for that sufficial aquifer. And then underneath the lake is the ancient riverbed, the bit that's been feeding the lake system. And that's what we're planning to drill starting next week. 
uh, we've got an air core program that will test the extent of that paleo channel. It's about 46 kilometres that we've identified using gravity under the granted tenement. And it's up to about, the whole valley system is up to about six kilometres wide. And in some places, the Thalweg, which is a fancy word for the, the bottom point of the channel and how that all lines up, can, looks like in places it's up to two kilometres wide. So we're really excited about the volume potential as well as that grade with the indication from this official aquifer of what we might just find underneath Lake Throssell. Right. Is it generally the case that what's encountered at the near surface levels is also reflective of what might be in the, uh, the subterranean aquifer? Yeah, there will be some natural variation between the grades, but being a water resource and things can move and flow and it's it's dissolved in the water, there is a, a relative element of um, consistency across it. Okay. And that uh, 10,000 uh, milligrams uh, per, what was it, per litre? Yeah, per per litre. Yeah. Per litre. Uh, um, how does that compare with some of the other projects around Oh, very good. Our grades are also, our highest grades have returned up to about 14,850 milligrams per litre, I think. And that sets us well amongst uh, high-grade resources. We don't have a resource yet, but it's indicating that we're among, well amongst the peer group that have projects under construction. Right. And uh, Lake Raisin, Raisin um, came in before Lake Throssell's upside, mm -hmm. wasn't it? So you've got a resource there. What's uh, the future of that project, do you think? Yeah, right. Raisin is a great lake. It's really broad and um, quite barren. There's no islands. So it makes it really simple to, to develop that project. But the grade there isn't as fantastic as what we have at Throssell. So what we're looking at doing is building the, a production hub there at Lake Throssell and then working out how we can add the late raisin feed into that and build a sort of a central production point uh, in the eastern Goldfields region between Lake Throssell and Lake Raisin. Right. Now I mentioned uh, the location earlier near uh, in uh, near Laverton. Um, mm -hmm. I was just wondering, you must be spoiled. Uh, that must spoil you in terms of uh, you know, access to infrastructure that would be required by the project. Yeah, at Throssell, we're really fortunate that our project uh, straddles the Great Central Road. And the state governments are upgrading the Great Central Road and bitumising that, which will give us a bitumen from, from our mine gate down to the railhead at Leonora, but also gives us potentially access into the East Coast markets via road because that road is going to go all the way through to Queensland. So there's a, And there's a lot of horticultural demand for sulphate of potash on the East Coast. With uh, the railhead at Leonora, we've got potential to export it out through Esperance and also transport it into the West Australian agricultural sector. Right, and export markets are a part of the plan. I know this would be import replacement for Australia, but uh, so you do see Australia as your main market and some bits and pieces in the Southeast Asian market or... Ideally, I would. Australia is a, a complete importer of all its potassium fertilisers at this time, so we're really quite reliant on imports. What I would love to see is this sector come alive and supply Australia first so that we can get the economic value add through our agricultural sector and provide a bit more security of supply for our agricultural sector because farmers do find it quite hard to get their hands on sulphate of potash here in Australia. And then it will be an export market as well. So it's a new export industry for Australia as well as shoring up our sustainability of our agriculture. Okay. 
And at Lake Throssell, the this uh, drilling program, will that lead to a resource estimate sometime in the early new year? That's the plan. Yeah. Right. March yeah, we're definitely looking at uh, having a resource in the an inferred resource in the March quarter. Obviously, subject to those results, but we're very confident of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then that inferred resource would lead into the initial scoping study. And yeah, we've got um, we'll need to do a little bit more work to get some indicated materials. So we'll need to be out there at the beginning of the field season next year to do some pump trials. And that will lead to an indicator resource and ultimately a scoping study. So quite quickly, this uh, very newly listed company, 12 months old on the ASX, will be shifting into the development cycle to uh, ultimately build a project. Mm. Now, I'm aware that uh, some of the other projects have encountered environmental clearance, uh, traditional owner clearance sort of issues. How do you see uh, Lakes Russell standing up under those? yeah, we have to go through the process. So we're already planning our baseline environmental studies for Thrussell. We are on Nottingjara country and very respectful of our traditional owners. We do have an exploration agreement with them to go ahead and do what we're doing and we've already carried out two heritage surveys. So our intention is to keep working with our traditional owners and all the stakeholders of our project. But because this is, you know, We're not leaving a big open pit. We're not leaving a big, ugly waste dump behind. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got um, a great opportunity to build something that's very sustainable, sustainable opportunity for employment as well in the area, and um, it will improve our agricultural practices. So it will be worth the process. I know it's early days and you've been fast-moving, but I was just wondering whether you're getting calls from potential customers down the track. Oh, I have been actually, Barry. I've had a few phone calls, a few inquiries, just just keeping an eye on us at this stage. Okay. So uh, lots to look out for there. So I was hoping you could bring it all together for us and uh, just uh, tell investors what they should be focused on in, say, the next three to six months. Very much news flow from Lake Throssell. So the, first up, it'll be the air core drilling, assay results. We'll have a really good idea of the physical properties of the, the aquifer, so the, the voids in which the water is hosted under the ground. And starting those environmental approvals, starting um, or upgrading the resource after that state, after the inferred resource to indicated, and then moving on to scoping study. So we've got a busy time ahead. Right. And as you step through those uh, various stages, you're hoping or expecting a uh, value uplift for the company? Oh, I'd certainly hope so. When you talk mm. about the marketplace being between 12 million and plus 300, it would be nice to, to move up the ranks as we add the value through the, the data collection and analysis. Right, okay. Well, there we've got it, folks. A, uh, a very interesting project in a... Uh, a commodity that, uh, well, is new new to Australia. Uh, ticks all the sustainability boxes, which is uh, very important nowadays. And lots to look out for as the drilling program and resource estimate and scoping studies take hold. So with that, I'm going to say thanks for your time today, Karen, and best of luck with it all. Great. Thanks for your time, Karen. Cheers.